And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. And we are talking today about the book, Does My Head Look Big in This? by Rhonda Abdel Fattah. Yes, that is a true fact. That is the book that we are talking about today. Do you want to give the summary or do you want me to? Do you want to give the summary? Yeah, you can give the summary. So this book, in a nutshell, follows Amal, our main character, who is an Australian-Palestinian girl living in a suburb in Melbourne. And it essentially follows her as she decides to make the choice to become a full-timer, which means that she's decided that she's actually going to wear her hijab full-time instead of just part-time at school, which is what she and a lot of her friends had been doing prior to that. And so it kind of follows her making that decision and then the consequences and her emotional roller coaster after she starts wearing it full time with her and her kind of like a gang of friends as they're essentially you know just trying to do high school things and prepare for college and there's boy drama involved and all of that good stuff but like the core of it is this girl just going on a personal and religious journey with her job yeah i would say that's accurate Good job. Good job summarizing. Um, What were your first impressions of this book? I think it talks about a lot of really important things. I think this book is probably mostly geared towards teenagers, probably white teenagers, because there is kind of a lot of explaining of terms and just kind of Muslim culture in general, although I think that anyone could read this and enjoy it. And I think that she does a really excellent job of talking about serious topics while also interweaving like fun and entertainment. But I will say that for me, this book is definitely the kind of young adult that is written very, very for a specific audience. And it definitely skews young with the writing. And while I think that that is excellent and age appropriate and like is good, just like for me as an adult reader is not what I enjoy reading and not my cup of tea. So like, I would give it five stars for the fact that it talks about really important things and I think handles the discussions in a really nuanced way for the most part, but not quite as high of a rating personally for the actual reading experience. It's been a while since I've read this series, but it reminds me a lot of Angus Thong's Infofrontal Snogging in terms of the writing. Like, it's first person, it's sassy, there's a lot of jokes going back and forth, a lot of pop culture terms. It's very early 2000s, the book takes place. Did you mention that in your summary, that it takes place in like 2002? No. Yeah, so it's it's right after 9-11. <laughs> so that's where this, this spiritual awakening and coming-of-age story starts for this Muslim character. And that definitely plays into the book somewhat. My first impressions, I read this book originally when I think I was like 15, 16. And I think I read it because I had Muslim friends, but didn't know why they necessarily wore the hijab. Like I just never asked, I guess. Or I had asked, but didn't really like want to get too into it because I didn't want to offend anyone. And 
Yeah, it was like it was an informative book. And one of my friends, apparently I found out when I came back to school after the summer had read it. So I I guess like like she okayed it as a good depiction. And yeah, it was very much like at the time and even today while reading it, it resonated with me as a coming of age story. And I found it hilarious. And the writing is very much for a, a young, a young person. But as an adult, I still found myself enjoying the story. I definitely agree with what you said with the fact that this book is really funny. Like, I was actually laughing out loud at certain moments in it. And I think some of it is that, like, again, as an adult reader looking back, some of it's just really cringe. But our main character is, like, very sharp and funny and, like, a joy to read about, definitely. I think for me, part of my problem was... I wasn't a teenager that long ago, and also I have spent the last seven years working with teenagers, and this just isn't how teenagers speak. <laughs> I think for me, really, at least not the ones that I work with. Uh, so, like, I think for me, like, that was the 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 disconnect was the dialogue just didn't always seem realistic. Oh, I get that. Yeah, it's a little cheesy at times. I found it very much like. The school that she goes to is a mostly white preparatory school. And it reminded me a lot of my public high school that was in a very like wealthy area of mostly Catholic kids <laughs> and then like a small Muslim population. So I don't know. And like we were all nerds. I don't know. Some of it did really resonate with me. I was like, oh, this is the conversation. Like these sorts of conversations were the sorts of things that my group of friends we're talking about and doing oh yeah i think the scenarios she found herself in were really realistic and i think the character dynamics were relatively realistic it was really just the like actual person to person how they spoke to each other where i was like this very much feels like an adult's imagining of how a teenager speaks rather than how a teenager actually speaks uh and again Mm. i'm not a teenager anymore but it really wasn't that long ago and i do spend most of my time with teenagers for better or for worse so like like i can't even really imagine my 13 year old sister phrasing things in this way but that's really my biggest criticism of the book i think ultimately and like on the list of things that it covers that's pretty low down on a list of sins you know like i'm not i'm not that bothered about it (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I get what you're saying. So let's talk about the stuff that it covers, because in this relatively fluffy novel, well, first of all, let's talk about, so before we started really reading this, Maggie had gotten the book in the mail and she was like, Harmony, you didn't inform me that this was a middle grade book, because it is incredibly fluffy and the language is very simplistic. And it is a young adult novel we've since figured out and reading it, you can kind of see that there's mentions of, like, there's mention of pornography and sexuality and, drug. and drugs and the race stuff, I think, is probably a little bit heavier than what we would typically see in a middle grade novel. But I think that a middle schooler, like middle school me, would have easily been okay with all of that content. And I think that it is definitely accessible to younger readers. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like the way it's written in terms of accessibility either helps or hurts it? We were talking a little bit about the dialogue. I don't know if that has to do with accessibility, but it did feel kind of middle grade errory to me. I would say that it helps it ultimately because for in my mind, there are two kinds of sort of young adult books. There are young adult books that are very much just geared for its audience And there are young adult books that sort of transcend the bounds a little bit more between YA and young adult. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, 
all of them have to meet the needs of a young adult audience, right? Otherwise, it's not a, it, it's not made for young adults. So I think that the fact that it has a younger skewing tone isn't a problem. It's just not as much for me as an adult reader as maybe some other kinds of YA novels are. But like, that's not a bad thing against it. I took the whole, t- uh, my last semester of grad school, I took a library science class that was all about essentially picking good novels for child and young adult readers as an adult. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was learning how to separate your personal enjoyment and opinions from a novel and just looking at it from an objective lens or as an objective lens as possible. And I think that that's sort of what I did while reading this novel, because like, just because I'm not the intended audience for it, and therefore personally, my enjoyment wasn't super great doesn't mean that it's still not a worthwhile read, especially if you are of the targeted audience. So I think that I think that this story written for a, an older young adult audience or even adults wouldn't be the same kind of hopeful, happy-go-lucky story it is. And I think that, you know, young adults from age 13 to 16 really need hopeful and happy-go-lucky and just like, you're going to go through hardship, but it's going to be okay anyways, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't dim down the hardship at all. Like, we no. we talk about serious race things as we've talked about. About before we talk about the Israeli Palestinian conflict, we talk about the we talk about miscarriage. There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot about miscarriage, and that's pretty serious and graphic. And yeah, there's drugs, smoking. There's a runaway teenager, but it is all told through this super happy-go-lucky tone. So, talking about those deeper themes, would you be okay? You said you had a sister who's 13. Would you be okay with her reading something like this, or is she too young? I mean, I don't think she is, but I'm also not the person (laughs) technically in charge of that. And I think I should also say that when I was growing up, I had pretty strict boundaries on what I was allowed to, like, read and listen to, but I had almost no boundaries on what I was allowed to read. So, like, on this front, I definitely think that my sort of inkling and leaning probably goes to the more liberal let kids what read what they want anyways, but, like, I think that as long as she she knows that she has people to talk to if she doesn't get something or why things are important, like, ultimately, the messages in this entire story are you have the right to make every choice in your life and stick to your guns. And I feel like, especially when it comes to resisting peer pressure of whatever kind it is, like that's the kind of story I want my sister to be reading or what I want any teenager to be reading to say that like you have the right to make the choices that you want to make. And it also means that you have to deal with the consequences, good and bad, when you make those choices. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that you're correct. And I also think too, it's important that we have, we have Amal as our main character and she is, she's a good teenager, right? Like she doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't have sex, (laughs) but she doesn't judge her friends for experimenting with this stuff. There's like maybe some inklings in the beginning, I think, where some of her language, like at one instance, is a little bit slut shaming. And then maybe again, she meets her her friend's brother's girlfriend and they all refer to her as a bimbo. And like, that's not cool. But for the most part, she's like very, very open. And I think that was a really important thread for me to read. Well, looking at this novel, because she encounters people who are ignorant and it's hard to be patient with people who are ignorant and like ends up with a good perspective on them. She, I don't know. I just, I don't think as a teenager, I would have turned down 
like alcohol if somebody had handed it to me. And she does, but she doesn't judge anyone else for partaking. And I just think that's like really cool because I think that, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I think something, I think something the author also does really well is, um, talks about the fact that teenagers are experimenting with these things without like condoning it as well because you know of course as people with influence we don't want you to consume any of these things underage you know that's not cool but like the author is able to really put it out there as just kind of being like yeah like this is what's happening and our main character has decided not to do that but she's not going to sit here and police people who who do partake in that either you know Yeah, and I think that's really important because as you were saying before, this seems like a book that may have been written specifically for white kids. Although I do think like the author herself is Muslim and has a Muslim daughter. And I would say that like maybe she just wants, especially because of the different depictions of Muslims, she might just want also more Muslim characters out there. (laughs) I don't think it was written specifically for white people, but I do think she very much put in more, she put in more explanation to contextualize things for white people than a Muslim reader might want or need if they were just looking for like a representation of themselves. Yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. But as, because it is written in a way that is consumable for people who don't know a lot about Muslims, I think it was it was good to have her main character be so open about that stuff and to not judge her non-Islamic friends for having different beliefs. Exactly, especially because her whole point throughout this whole book was like, why are you judging me? I'm just an individual. Like, she's something she really struggles with, which I think, especially right now with what's going on in the United States, even though this book takes place in Australia, that really struck me as like, she struggles so hard with the fact that people treat her like an example of her entire culture and a representative of her entire culture, but she just wants to be judged for herself as an individual and that's it. Like she she doesn't want to or can't obviously represent an entire group of people and she's constantly expected to by adults and her peers at every turn. Yeah, there's actually a great quote about that on page 147. She's explaining to the boy she likes why it's not cool that he keeps, essentially, why it's not cool that he's uh, judging her for her religion. Get out of here, Adam. You don't judge people. We're not a plural or some big block, all acting and feeling and saying the same things. You judge individuals. Anyway, it goes both ways. I've got family friends who think all white people are drunk wife bashers slumped in front of Jerry Springer with a cigar in their hands. That was something I found really funny. Just the way she described it was so hilarious. But that's like such a great explanation. I don't know. Like even as an adult, I was reading this and I was like, wow, this is like, I'm going to put this in my toolkit and like remember it the next time like I have an assumption that could be prejudice or the next time I like I'm trying to fight racism or prejudice. Be like, hey, you can't judge all people. You can't judge people. You judge individuals. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. It is such a beautiful and succinct way of putting it. And I think something going off of that that I really like is that he takes that information and he essentially says, I see you, I hear you, I'm going to do better. And then does, and they're able to move on from that and joke. And that's not to say that Adam is a perfect character after that point, but like every time they have conversations together that 
go into places that make both of them uncomfortable. They fight through the discomfort together. And then they both come out on the other side with a greater understanding of the other person and their like needs and their boundaries. And it's like really nice to see that kind of healthy relationship happening. Not even a relationship because they are friends the entire novel, but like that kind of friend relationship happening throughout the entire time where like one party fucks up, but they move on from it together and it doesn't like none of it's ever friendship ending because he's continually working on it. Yeah. I found that really interesting. I had a lot of mixed feelings about Adam as a character. So just to give everyone a briefer, Adam is the boy that she has this huge crush on and a part of Amal's personal faith and a part of a lot of Muslims faith, not everyone, obviously, because that just, that just doesn't happen. But like a part of a lot of people's faith means that like they don't have necessarily physical relationships before marriage. And so she just kind of wants to be best friends with this guy, but she also really likes him and like has sexual feelings for him, but doesn't want to act on it because to her, that's just not something she's interested in actively she's not actively interested in it even if she has those feelings and adam yeah adam was a frustrating character because in the beginning he's like really he's really sexist sometimes and at one point he tries to kiss her and then he's a real jerk when she rejects him that for me was the point where i got really frustrated with adam and he never really came back for me after that but like up until that point i was able to forgive him more because it was kind of like okay you're saying stupid kid things but like when you're called out on your shit, you respond to yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know. I think, okay, so I was also very mad at Adam at that point, but I also, like, really liked that they included that there and that her and Adam did regain some sort of friendship after the point because I think it made it more realistic. And also, like, I've been in a situation where I was essentially Adam in high school where I was flirting with a guy who was not Muslim, but did not believe in kissing people before marriage. And yeah, (laughs) I was like, what? I was like, are you a part of a cult? And I didn't take it the best. So like, I think that kids are stupid. And Adam is definitely a jerk and doesn't deserve a mom, but is also probably a realistic depiction of a regular (laughs) 17-year-old. I think that what bothered me about it is that anytime they had had, like, a real disagreement beforehand, they, like, really talked about it. And because there were other things, like, plot-wise happening in the novel when that happened, they didn't ever really unpack what he said to her afterwards. She's just kind of, like, she kind of goes through this moment where she's like, I know he didn't mean that. I know he was upset. And I understand why he was probably upset by that. And then they have another moment later where, like, they start talking as friends again and they realize that, like, they've both moved on from the moment. But it's the one thing that they never actually, like, really talk about and work through together. And that, I think, was ultimately what really frustrated me about that moment because it should have been, for me as a reader, at least more of a learning moment for him Mm -hmm. than it ended up being, at least from my perspective. I get that. I also still think it was the most realistic depiction, though, because I think that happens in high school, right? Like you say awful things, you get your feelings hurt, your crush rejects you and you end up having to be friends anyway, because it doesn't sound like they go to a very big high school. Like, who else are you going to be friends with? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I agree with you. Let's talk about identity, though. (laughs) The main part of this book (laughs) 
is definitely identity. And it's like, it's, it starts in the beginning where this girl is just a regular teenager and she's talking about friends or whatever, like friends, the TV show. And then at the end, the exact word is... It's their stories and confrontations and pains and joys which have empowered me to know myself, challenged me to embrace my identity as a young Australian-Palestinian Muslim girl. I'm sure that that was happening, but what I saw was mostly those microaggressions, which I did my best to stomp out when I could. And I'm sure that because I was 14 and stupid most of the time, my best wasn't very good, like... That's stuff that I've had to like think about and apologize for later in life. And like, that's not a conversation for the podcast, but like things that I've dealt with with other friends of mine, you know, to be like, sorry, I was not as woke as I could have been, <laughs> you know, because it's like if I knew then what I know now, I would have reacted to things differently and more strongly. I understand that. I understand that. I mean, yeah, I think back all the time to like every micro. Well, I think back all the time now knowing more about the world. And and I think to my middle school and high school self, and I'm like, oh, Harmony, why did you phrase something that way? Or why did you say something like that? And a lot of it is ignorance, which is touched upon in this book, but also like, that's not cool. So teach your children what microaggressions are and teach them to be sensitive. Speaking of microaggressions, on page 155, there is like a great instance, because I think microaggressions are kind of confusing for people and I don't know if they are for our listeners but essentially microaggressions are something that is implicitly or subtly racist but it's not like using the n-word or something (laughs) you know it's something that occurs in everyday life and I feel like on page 155 there's a really great example of how this builds up and harms people and it's something else I'm putting in my tool belt. You go, Maggie. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I think the beauty of this example on 155, too, is I don't know what part Harmony's going to read yet, but essentially there's two paragraphs on this page. And in the first one, the antagonist of our novel asks a very racist question, and it is clearly intended to be harmful and racist because they don't like each other. And then in the second paragraph, Adam, the boy she likes, asks a very similarly worded question, but coming from a place of in- ignorance, and she snaps at him. So I think that it's also a really great example of the ways in which racism and microaggressions are not necessarily separate things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, they can be very similar, and that's part of the reason why they're equally as harmful, because your good intentions as a as a white person don't erase the fact that it's harmful sometimes at least for our main character it acts more as a band-aid when she's able to be like i know that's not what you meant but you have to understand why this is built up for me yeah and she's just such a great educator she's such a great educator for like me today and i really love it but yeah i don't think i was actually planning on reading it i just kind of wanted to talk about the summary and then on 156 she explains it and i i will read that it's unless Maggie wants to. Does Maggie want to read it? It's just overwhelming. Read it. Okay. It's just overwhelming. Do you have any idea how it feels to be me, a Muslim, today? I mean, just turn on the television, open a newspaper. There will be some feature, article, analyzing, deconstructing, whipping up some theory about Islam and Muslims. Another chance to make sense of this phenomenon called the Muslim. 
It feels like I'm drowning in it all. And Tia has been picking at me all week about it. So when you asked, it was just bad timing, you know? That's why I lashed out. I just thought that was beautiful. Like it's, and I love the way that they deal with this. Like I love that she has such thick skin, not that that's necessary, but it feels like a very teenage thing to me. And Adam is like a shitty guy at some points, but he's not the worst guy in the world. Right. And like, she does want to maintain a friendship with him. And it's, it is coming from a place of ignorance. And I just like, that was just, it was, it was just so great. So next time, you know, you witness a white microaggression happening be like, hey, maybe you shouldn't because this person is already ostracized. Like, bring that person who's doing the microaggression aside and into your confidence and don't do it in a public arena because that would be really awkward, I'm sure. And just be like, hey, I don't think that was very nice what you said. And this is why. Let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. It was just really... It was just really well done. It does make me sad for her, though, because like there is something in this novel that I feel like is occasionally hard to contend with that Amal pushes back on, Mm -hmm. but is also still true for her is that she always has to be the educator. Yeah. And she never sends people away without sort of explaining to them why what they did was offensive or wrong. And I'd like to really commend her for that. But again... I think especially as white people in 2020, like it is now our job to ed- educate ourselves and each other in white arenas to be like, you have, <laughs> you, you need to stop doing this because it's not the job of people of color to erase our ignorance. And I think that Amal really struggles with this on multiple occasions. The first being with when she's dealing with Layla's mom, who is also a Muslim, but was grew up without an education and now holds very intensely traditional views that don't really match with the rest of the community that they currently live in, I think is a fair way to describe it. So she deals with that when she's trying to deal with her, but then also when she's dealing with her classmates' ignorance, right? Like there's a point where a girl who, I don't remember what her name is, uh, a girl who she doesn't really know that well comes up, I want to say her name's like Eva or something, and asks her a question following the terrorist attacks that happened at a club in Bali. And Amal, again, like, explains, but has, understandably, like, she's frustrated. She has a tone about it. And Eva was just like, oh, like, thank you for so much for explaining to me. I really wasn't trying to make you upset. I was just curious. But, like, thank you so much um, for, like, taking the time, essentially. And that was a really nice moment to me because it was able to call her out in a way not call her out, call her in to why what she did was wrong, by, but also educating her. And Amal afterwards felt really comforted by the fact that like, she did seem just genuinely curious what she thought. So like, there's this push and pull. I think I really appreciate that Amal, ha- that Amal has with like ignorance in this story where like, she is dealing with people she feels are ignorant on all occasions, but then also is forced to confront with her own ignorance and her own assumptions about the world, especially with her neighbor, Mrs. Is it Mrs. Vasily? Is that what her name is? It's something like that. I don't know the correct pronunciation. You know, I've got a Greek in the living room, but it's just, I, I could ask, but I don't. I've got a Greek in the living room. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's I think it's Vasily, who she she has a lot of assumptions about because she's old and because she's Greek. So like there's this really beautiful layer of push pull between that all of those points for them all that I appreciate. But it's not her job to or it shouldn't be her job to educate her friends. It should be her friend's job to educate themselves. Yes. And to be fair, her true friends who are like uh, her, her true friends who aren't Muslim 
who are named Aline and Simone do seem pretty educated and they don't confront her about stuff like that. But in the real world, that just doesn't always happen, unfortunately. So like, let's make it our job to educate. If if you're a white person, right? Let's make it our job to educate other white people. Um, But another thing that you brought up in this topic was that moment that she had with that girl, the student council president, I believe, or the student. Yeah. The student body president. And she's very comforted about it. And like, there's this huge being an educator and then also having empathy really seems to be healing for Amal on a personal level, which is something I can relate to. You know, I don't have the same sort of struggles as Amal, but I have experienced oppression, like have experienced having to be the educator about different topics, you know, like women's roles. <laughs> and it, it it can be, it can weigh on you, but the idea of having empathy seemed to be healing. And I, I just really appreciated that as someone who also has found that being empathetic can be healing. Not that it's always necessary, but it can be. I think that uh, she uses it very well, too, because she is empathetic in the places where it was really genuinely clear no harm was meant, no how, no matter how stupid the question was. Yeah. You know, and in the places where she knows that harm was intended to be caused, like with Tia and her group of friends, mm. she doesn't extend quite that same empathy. And I think that that's also a really beautiful example of self-boundaries, you know, of being like, I can heal from this instance because I know ultimately that this question wasn't coming from a place of wanting to harm me as much as their execution was terrible and therefore like I can forgive them from that and like we're moving on from it together and like she has that healing moment but then she also has hard boundaries where she's like uh no (laughs) like we're not gonna deal with this that's not cool and I'm gonna be snarky and quippy back to you um yeah because Tia's just just trying to get a a rise out of her and like actively is being very racist and i don't know she's saying just mean and cruel outside of that too like she's just mean to them all on every front yeah and she's mean to other people too she's mean to simone she is not a great person but talking about the empathy thing i wanted to talk to you about layla layla's mom so like this is a case where this woman obviously isn't trying to be mean but who her her cultural beliefs end up being really harmful and oppressive to her daughter and her daughter actively expresses this and nothing seems to change for her and we find out we have a moment where Layla's mom like gets to reevaluate and be like I'm not going to do this anymore and I just want my daughter and like I just want her to be happy and I love her and I'm all feels guilty for having ever for for having like just demonized Layla's mom and for having just thought she was ignorant and not trying to go deeper and empathize with her and I wanted to know what you thought about that because I find myself really struggling with this sometimes in terms of like in terms of white people in America today (laughs) like really ignorant white people and family members where I'm like hey I know you don't actively, you know, like hate people of color. So maybe don't vote for Trump or like, hey, I know you don't mean for this to be a wrong thing that you're doing, but like this is really actively harmful. Yeah, I don't know. And sometimes I do just want to dismiss people who are willfully ignorant because Layla's mom doesn't have to be as ignorant as she is, right? Like she has her brothers and sisters aren't. 
she is she could listen to her daughter and understand that like that's not what her daughter wants she yeah yeah i don't know i think yeah no i struggled with it a lot too like the entire time i think that the entire time from my perspective right like i feel for layla's mom because she doesn't she never got the chance to learn to read or write she was married when she was extraordinarily young she was brought to a country where she didn't know the language where she was really heavily dependent on her husband and she seems relatively lucky in all of this circumstance because she doesn't seem like she's particularly unhappy with the life that she has um she seems to get along well with her husband she loves her children even though she does I think ultimately kind of do a disservice to them. And I think it's hard not to empathize with that position of someone who's just had so few opportunities in life in general. And I think it's possible to empathize with that struggle and that aspect of it and still also feel frustrated that she so thoroughly dismisses her daughter until she does something so drastic that she runs away. And when she runs away, she goes straight to a woman's shelter, which, like, good for her for being smart enough to figure out that that's probably, like, a place that she'll be relatively safe. But, like, when she comes back two months later, she is sick. She is unhealthy. She could have been in a lot of danger that entire time. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's possible to empathize with the circumstances that made her the way they are and still feel frustrated with the fact that it took such an extraordinary act of rebellion and defiance to like make her see reason because what was happening in the novel that we're dancing around is that Layla's mom was not supportive of the fact that Layla wanted to grow up and be a lawyer and was trying very hard to sort of offer suitors up for an arranged marriage for her daughter at 16 not that she would necessarily get married at 16 but like she was trying to arrange all of this so that it would just sort of be set in stone some of the suitors would have taken her far away you know like an education was really not seen as being very important to her and like i don't know man not to get too dramatic but like to a certain extent in the novel we're lucky that layla makes the decision she does to just run away because this is a this is a recipe for extraordinary depression and isolation that could have frankly led to even worse consequences. And so I think that that's the part where it's hard to, I think that you can be empathetic to someone and still be really frustrated with them. Like, I think it's possible to be and feel both of those things. Well, I guess, okay. So here Amal says at one point that she wishes, like when she's realizing that she should have been empathetic, that she wishes she had done more to bring Layla and her mom together. And I guess like if you were Layla's friend, I I don't know, that was hard for me because I don't understand what she could have done within her physical boundaries and limits that would have helped Layla, I guess. Yeah, I don't know either, honestly, like, but I think also at 16, you feel like just enough of an adult that you look back on things and you're like, I could have done something more and done something different, right? Even if a situation is out, out of your control, yeah. Um, which I don't know if that's a what the book was trying to say, but like, that's sort of what I took out of it, right? Is like, When you hit 16, I feel like you start taking responsibilities for things that happen, even though they aren't necessarily your fault. And in many ways, you run with that for the rest of your life, you know? Um, But I do think that potentially, I don't know, maybe being more empathetic towards Layla's mom could have made things... Maybe she could have helped her figure out different ways to talk to her mom or something, or like 
invited them over to her house more so that her mom so that like Amal's mom could have done something more potentially but like I think at the end of the day there's just self-blame because she feels bad for what happened and I think she also feels bad because she recognizes her privilege over Layla in that way throughout the rest of the book throughout all of the book really where it's like she is encouraged to get a really great education and stuff like that and her dreams and values are thought of as being really important by her parents um Amal's got like a great family life by anyone's standards yeah (laughs) Yeah. like an uncommonly great family life and she recognizes that too yeah she knows that she's got it really good in that sense so I think that that's ultimately where I ended up landing on the thing with Amal, where, where it was it's just kind of like a little bit of everything, you know, like a little bit of maybe she could have done something else. But realistically, I feel like that's just something we all say when we feel bad about a situation to somebody that we really care about. Like, what else could I have done? You know, Aww. Aww, that was hard. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed this isn't like a huge talking point, but I really enjoyed that we had. I don't know. In other books that I have read about Islam or about Muslim characters, we really only have like one type of Muslim and one type of culture that we're looking at for the most part. Like we have different characters and stuff, but like everyone's sort of dealing with the same problems. And in this book, we got, I mean, you can't, you can't have every type, right? Because it's only one author and we need more authors and more books so that we can have a broader perspective of things across the board. Anyway, But, like, we do have these three characters who all have very, very different types of lifestyles. Like, one is from a blended family, and, you know, we have Amal, who has this perfect family, but is, like, the typical immigrant child, I guess. (laughs) Or what could be seen as the typical immigrant child. You know, like, she has Muslim parents, but she's like, I am very much an Aussie, but she's still dealing with her identity. And then we have Layla, who represents this cultural stigma that sometimes exists within religions that doesn't have anything to do with religions, but is oppressive. And we see that in all religions. But um, it's something that we in the West really focus on for Islam. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know, I thought I I just enjoyed that. I liked that we got everyone's perspective. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. Everyone, I don't know, it just felt realistic, right? Like everyone was doing their own thing and had different opportunities and limitations and stuff like that. And and different ones. Yeah, and also her friends that weren't Muslim also still had really full-fleshed backstories as well. Like Eileen is Japanese and was able to really relate to her on issues of racism. And Simone really struggled with like fat shaming and her body type throughout the entire story. Like each of them had their own stuff going on no matter who they were or what they were dealing with you know like so Simone is a character that I really identified with as somebody who also went through high school being um bigger or at least viewing herself as being bigger because I think that like many women I now look back at myself and at times where I didn't like my body and didn't like myself and I'm like what the hell were you talking about and that's something that Simone I think really struggles with the entire time and that she just thinks that she's fat and she's on a new diet every single week and she thinks that she's unwantable and unlovable because of it to the point where it like makes it she ends up with the boy that she wants josh at the end and it makes it really difficult for her to get with him because like he shows clear signs of interest throughout but she just has such low self-confidence that she can't even really believe that he would be interested in her and it's like a whole thing i think that's something i struggled with with simone 
um, sometimes was that her friends didn't always deal with the way she felt from my perspective in the most empathetic way. It swung very much from like just sitting there and saying, no, you don't look this way. Like, no, this isn't true. Like, we really desperately want you to love yourself, which is fine, but never really validates her feelings and why she feels that way to like kind of getting frustrated with her to the point where they'll make like weird quips so that she'll just stop doing what she's doing. Like, I remember specifically Josh wants her to play basketball with him and she's feeling self-conscious. So like uh, her and Eileen talk about the fact that they tell her, they end up telling her that Josh will think she's lazy if she doesn't just so that she'll like get out of her head and like go. But I will say that, and this is of course just like my sensitivity to it. Cause like Simone's high school experience was in many ways very much mirrored by my high school experience that issue for me wasn't handled as delicately as a lot of the other issues in the book for kind of those reasons. She doesn't really find any sort of self-acceptance for herself. And I mean, on the one hand, I do think, especially as a as a plus-size person talking, I think that that is kind of accurate in the sense that like self-acceptance of your body is an ongoing journey that can be helped or hindered by having a partner but, like, it's just so annoying because in the book it's very much phrased as, like, oh, and she has Josh now, so everything's probably going to be okay. All right, so I'm a little scared about what the audio sounded like before Harmony cut out. But the question she asked was whether I thought that the depiction in the book was because it was from Amal's perspective or if it was because it was lazy writing. And I think it was because it was lady lazy writing for really one scene and it's the scene where Amal and Simone and talk are talking and Simone is really expressing how she feels about it like in a deeper way for the first time and she says something that is frankly deeply offensive and she talks about the fact that she can't even like have anorexia or bulimia correctly and like the fact that she desperately wants an eating disorder and like to me, that was just so insensitive and so off base that it did feel a little bit like lazy writing rather than just from Amal's perspective because it came straight out of Simone's mouth. Mouth? Because from my understanding of eating disorders, you know, like, it's it's not a choice that you consciously make, right? Like, it's a disease that you have that stems from a need from control. And just, it really, like, that scene bothered me to know to no end like really upset me and so i think that between that coming from simone's mouth and just the fact that like it is her feelings are never validated really throughout the novel like i i struggle a lot to see it as something other than lazy writing i think that you're right to a certain extent that this is in many ways how 16 year olds can deal with that problem but then again as somebody who was dealing with that and feeling that way about myself when I was 16 I will say that like my friends did a better job dealing with it of that and like making me feel supported you know I think part of the reason I didn't see I saw a disconnect in it especially from Amal's perspective was because Amal especially at the beginning is really cognizant of the fact that like she's trying to have a certain aesthetic style and a certain beauty and a certain like sex appeal shoved down her throat 
And she knows that it's affecting her negatively. And that's part of the reason she decides to wear the hijab is because it makes her feel like she's making a choice and it makes her feel empowered. And yet somehow doesn't connect the dots as to why that would also make Simone feel the way she does, you know? It was just the one aspect of this novel because it talks about so many wonderful things that I just don't think was handled with the same nuance as the others. Yeah, I agree. I I think you're right. Um... I will say, well, okay, I think Simone has an eating disorder, even if she doesn't have anorexia. In the beginning, there's even a talk, like, there's talk about a binge Mm -hmm. and purge cycle in the beginning. And I think that, like, her unhealthy attitude towards her body and towards food in general could be classified as an eating disorder, but I'm not an expert. I will say, though, that, like, in high school, I had friends who were both skinny and larger who did talk about wanting to have an eating disorder. And so I don't know. I mean, I know that's not okay to talk about. And I had friends who like looked it up and did kind of try it. And I don't know, like, I don't, I know that's wrong, but I I don't don't think it's unrealistic for a teenager to say. I just think that the fact that there was no conversation about it whatsoever was out of keeping with the rest of the book. Because the rest of the book will say radical things like that, right? That are probably realistic to come out of a teenager's mouth, but it gets unpacked as to why that's not okay. And like why you can't say things like that and like offers ways in which you can deal with stuff better. And like Simone's character doesn't get that same arc, right? Like (laughs) she doesn't get the same unpacking and the same offers of ways to deal with it better or things that you could say instead. And I think that aspect of it comes from the fact that like it's coming from a mall's perspective and that's not what she's personally dealing with. But I just wish since the author made it such a large part of the book that Simone could have been given the same treatment Because it makes her struggles just seem so flat when they're, like, fixed to a certain extent by the fact that she gets the guy and suddenly, well, I guess she must be attractive, you know? Yeah, and it's antithetical to the rest of the book, I guess, as well. Because Amal, though she is a normal teenager and does care quite a bit about her appearance, is aware of appearance struggles. You're right. Yeah. I think the fact that it's unpacked is really a disservice, especially because, like, I think in a text message, you referred to this as a teaching book. And, like, you're right. This is a book with a message. And it doesn't, it's not just a book for entertainment, I don't think. Like, it's very clearly a book with a message. And this character arc is, it's much larger than Aline. Like, the only per, it's much larger than Yasmin's. The only person who compares is Layla. And we do, even though we don't get as satisfying of an ending with Layla, like we do see some sort of resolve. Yeah, that was just what bothered me. I think you're right. And that I might have misspoke earlier and said that like, it wasn't realistic for someone to say that it totally is realistic for someone to say that it just like the way that specific arc was handled in the story did not fit in with the way everything else was handled. And I found that frustrating um just as somebody who like struggles with the same problem to be like wait like this is all we're gonna get here everyone else gets all this beauty like i will say though i think that again in the series in the list of sins of this book as much as that bugged me like it still has so many more important things to say and does it so well that like that shouldn't stop you from reading this novel or i think recommending it to a younger reader i would just say that 
maybe be aware of that, um, especially if you're dealing with a younger reader who you know potentially is also struggling with body image issues, you know? Yeah, and I would say it's important to impact, like, period, because, like, I say that I'm not a teenager that had particular body image issues, but I think that most women, period, have significant body image issues and need to be taught differently and that we need to also learn to be more compassionate when talking about our bodies and each other's bodies. So yeah, I think that if you're reading this book, that's something to be aware of. And if you're reading it with a younger reader, like do be sure to unpack that regardless of what you think their body image issues may be, because they could surprise you. Yeah, for sure. I more mean this in the sense that like my body image issues happened to like exactly mirror that of Simone's, but you're totally right. Like, for sure. It's something everyone goes through. But I think that's also something interesting about this is that the male characters in this book don't have the same level of like drama or backstory as anyone else. Not really. I mean, Adam like kind of does because he's got some some abandonment <laughs> issues. Um, so I shouldn't laugh. Which are, that's not funny. Abandonment. Ha 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 ha. But like they don't really dive into it in the same way, partially because it's like pulling teeth to get him to talk about his emotions something that i think really portrays this book as as something of its time you know like that early aughts stuff is that i will say it does very much conform to pretty strict and traditional gender roles um but then i will also say like and this might be bad i don't think it is i do kind of appreciate the fact that like this is a book that is primarily about girls yeah and, like, all, most of the story time is given to girls. The only two guys that are really given screen time are Josh and Adam. And they're just love and like interests. They're, <laughs> and they're just love interests. It's the girls who have the really, like, dynamic and wonderful stories. And I do think that that's something that's nice to see, especially in recommending books for girls, right? Like, not to say that boys at that time and, and teenagehood don't have complex in our lives, but I think there's lots of stories that dive into that and it's cool to see something so targeted towards the complex inner lives of teenage girls yes i agree i agree with that entirely one of the things that i want to touch on before we end because i think that we've touched on a lot not everything because this book deals with a lot but one of the big things is sexuality versus modesty so this was like a big theme throughout the book because as we talked about before Amal is an attraction centered person and she is, she does feel attraction. She has the hots for Adam. At one point, her mom catches her looking at softcore porn in a Cosmo. It sounds like. <laughs> and I think when I, I, this was just something that stuck out to me, I guess with somebody like as somebody who was close to Muslim peers and was like a very sexually interested teenager like, this was something that really struck me because I'm dealing with a character who reminded me a lot of me and my friends and who who didn't act on her uh, sexual attraction. And to me, as a character, I think, like, as a teenager, I think I was really disappointed by this plot line because I'm not a religious person. Uh, no one ever told me to wait until marriage to have sex or anything like that. And I did, as a teenager, like, this was something that continually confounded me, this concept. But I think that the important thing is that Amal talks about 
just not like believing in it and not judging other people for wanting to have sex. And as a grown up, I can really see that and appreciate that a lot more, I think, than Teenage Harmony could. What were your thoughts about that? Because to me, it just always seemed like such a big, like watching my friends who also had crushes, but were Muslim, like it always just seemed like a big touchy thing. And like, I always felt conflicted about it. Like being like, well, yeah, you like him, but do you want to date him? And I think that was part of it too. Cause like most 16 year olds don't know what they want really. Right. So like now they probably know what they want, but I think at the time there was a lot of push and pull. Like, do I want to conform to my religion or do I want to meet up with this cute guy? Yeah, I actually thought it was really refreshing. I think that if I read this as a teenager, I probably would have also seen that. But I just think that there are so many stories out there, again, written for teenagers, mostly teenage girls, where it's all about the love interest. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of nice to see the story where it's like, yeah, like I'm into you, but I really just don't want to date in general. So like, can we just be friends? You know? I kind of really enjoyed that as an adult, even if it took them some time to get there. But I think that that level of drama and stuff, like, that's just what it is to be a teenager, right? Like, it's never simple conversations like that. Like, you got to get almost kissed at a party and deny it. And like, it's all a thing. No, 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 I get that. But I'm also saying, and I realize that we are two white girls. So like, feel free to come at us with your perspectives. But like, the idea of the push and pull, like, she is a teenager with blossoming sexuality. and. My response, I think, as a teenager, at least somewhat, was a little bit more to Adam's initial response being like, well, you're oppressed then if you're not going to go out and have sex or like going to go out and kiss guys before you marry them. And so like that, reading that again as an adult was different because in this book, it's so clear to me that Amal, Amal very clearly states, this is what I believe in. And like, she's okay with it. Even if she has like slight regrets, like she's so very okay with making this decision. But I think that like when I was a teenager, I just wasn't sure about it. And I wasn't sure about it watching my friends. And like as an outsider, that idea of waiting felt different to me than it does now reading this book. Yeah, I could see that. I had a lot of friends who decided not to do any of that in high school, not even necessarily for religious reasons, but just like believed very strongly that that wasn't what they were into. Mm. Um, Like like a lot of friends. So I think for me at that time in my life, it was potentially a little bit more normalized because it was just like something that didn't, again, just in my life, really follow any sort of like religious boundaries or anything. It was just stuff that friends of mine around me I get what you're saying what I'm talking about is desire right because Amal desires Adam and I guess in high school I had experiences with a few Muslim friends a couple of Muslim friends where they had this large desire but didn't know how to act on it because of outside forces right and it's the same with Catholicism too right like the idea of being a slut if you give in to that desire and that as somebody that didn't come from a religious background was always like something I was trying to contend with while trying to be like a good friend. But to me, it is different in this book because Amal's like, because even though she has this desire and I think reading it as a high schooler, I conflated it to a desire that was probably a little bit stronger because of my own desire and because of desires of my friends, because some of my friends did decide to act on it and some of my friends did not. But like reading this book, it's, it's different now because it's, 
like the hijab, it's something that Amal wants. She's like, yes, I have this desire, but it's my choice to forego the desire. Because it's not like she's not interested. I get what you mean more now. It's okay. more about the fact that she is un- she doesn't have any conflict within herself versus sometimes in real life people make those decisions and it's still a conflict for them. I get that. Yeah, because like a lot of a lot of people, I don't know, like when I was younger, when I was younger, I, I came I grew up in a family that smoked pot. Um, before it was legal. <laughs> and I always, and I grew up with a family that like smoked a lot, period, not just pot, but just like my mother's side of the family is from Virginia and they're all just big smokers. And so because of that, even though I didn't think pot was necessarily evil, I always thought I was never, ever going to smoke pot. And then, you know, I got to college and I tried it once, but yeah, you know, like I got to co- college and I tried it. And the reason was because like, I didn't have any good reason not to in my head, right? Like it wasn't something I actually believed in before I was just doing it because I was like, oh, this is bad. And there was no deeper reason to it. And I think sometimes people who don't look into their religious beliefs or, or faith do sometimes think that things are bad without ever trying it just because they're like, I don't know, it's an external belief and it's not something coming from themselves. Whereas Amal has this external belief, yes, but she's, like, done the work to verify it for herself and be like, no, this is what I want. And I just think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. I think especially because um, everyone comes into those, everyone has, I think, that moment for themselves at some point in life. But it's kind of like it starts at, like, 16, 17, where you start really, because, like, adulthood is looming, where you start really, I think, thinking deeply about what you actually think and what you actually believe. Like, I was raised in an atheist household for complicated reasons. Um, And so, like, never really experienced any kind of spirituality. And from, like, I don't know, probably, like, 17 to, like, 19, sort of experimented with, like, some spirituality stuff, even though it wasn't necessarily religion, and then really just kind of decided that, like, I really was just, like, a really staunch, diehard atheist, and that none of the rest of it was for me. Um, And I think that no matter what perspective you come from, like, that's the age where you really are just solidifying what your internal belief is. And I think that it's really refreshing to see somebody at 16 just be like, yeah. And I think that something she brings up is that's interesting as well is the fact that, like, for her... Not only is it her choice, but she can technically change her mind at any time, right? Like, it's evolving. Just because she says no now doesn't mean it always has to be a no forever. It's just a no for now based on her beliefs. And because she believes strongly in her beliefs, it probably will be a no forever. But, like, she, to me as a reader at least, feels like she leaves herself room to grow and to change in that way. um, In a way that I think is really, like, nice, but also believable. Yeah. Okay. That was the other big thing I just wanted to touch on. Because I think that, you know, we obviously in the West have this idea that, like, Islamic women in general are oppressed. And not to say that that isn't, in some cases, true. I thought that that was a big theme that it touched about. And it, like, personally did speak to my own slight prejudices in high school growing up and, like, watching my friends deal with that struggle in terms of sexuality. I get that. I think also something nice about the thing with modesty for her is more just the fact that, like, she feels a lot of pressure to dress in the way that, like, all of the magazines want her to. And it's not because she doesn't like that style on herself. It's just 
that she's tired of like doing the performance of a mall almost. Yeah. And so for her, it's relieving to dress in a more modest manner. I think she feels she, she like seems to express a sense of more just like, I can still have self-expression this way. It's just in a way that makes me feel like happier and more comfortable. And I think that that's also a really nice way to think about modesty because like there is, especially in the West, such a push that like being empowered and making your own choices means like showing a lot of skin and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't have to mean that like it just doesn't. So I just really appreciated the way that she explains her thoughts on that. I agree. And I think that that too has to do with like, her her idea being modest, like you said, it's it's her stopping the performance of a mom, and she's just like embracing herself and her heritage and her culture and her identity. And I think that's another theme that plays throughout the book: the idea of like bracing your individuality or brace embrace. I wrote embracing your otherness, but there's a quote on page eighty three that says, "Okay, you're right. She's talking to Simone." You know what? Who cares what normal is, Simone? Let's protest. From now on, we're the anti-normal, anti-average, anti-standard. You can eat when you want to. I'll wear what I want and we'll die with a bag of chips in our hand and a tablecloth on our head. And that to me was also very inspiring as like, I don't know, one of the many people in this world who like went to school and never felt like they fit in. Or, like, has struggled fitting into society for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was beautiful. It was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you stand out because you're embracing yourself as long as you're being true to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I have... uh, No, I'm sorry. I have conflicts about that just because that's her response to the passage I was talking about earlier with Simone. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. I think that as a message in general, it's beautiful. I just still don't know that it was necessarily the right response to what Simone had been trying to express in that moment. Okay. You know? I did not pick up on this. So, like, if you feel, like, if you want to clarify it, because I was, I think, ignorant. I read that and I was like, what a great response! Um, (laughs) I mean, to be fair, though, I think that there's plenty of other people who like had the experience I did who would think that was a great response. Like for me, that's just a personal thing where it's like, I feel like if I was sitting here and being like, even if I lost 20 pounds and was in my weight height ratio, people would still consider me fat. And somebody was just kind of like, you can eat what you want to, I'll wear what you want, I'll wear what I want. I think I would be a little bit like, wait. But I don't know if that's what I want. Like, it just seemed to me like what she was experiencing there was was different than the response she got. But that could just be me. This is like that part for me definitely could have just been one of those things where it's like, this is not a stand in for Maggie, right? Like, just because it's not the response I would have wanted to something like that doesn't mean it's a bad response in general. Um, But what would I just think? Sorry, what would your ideal response have been? Would it have been like more of an acknowledgement of her feelings and emotions? Yeah, (laughs) I think I think that's the thing is that it's like, who cares what's normal? It's like, well, clearly I do. Right. Like I I care about it and I don't necessarily want to just like throw it away. Right. Mm. Or 
I care about it and I feel like I shouldn't. So like maybe I would maybe I want to protest it, but like I still care, right? Like <laughs> Yeah, and please acknowledge that I care and like it's okay that I'm feeling this. Right? Even if it's- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's ultimately what I'm getting to. I still think the message that Amal puts off in that passage is really like beautiful and poignant and has a lot of merit in this book. I just, I generally for Simone, I wish that somebody had acknowledged her feelings as being like, okay, at some point, or even the idea that like, right, Amal talks so much with herself, like in her thoughts about the fact that she feels this like Cosmo pressure almost, um, to to our knowledge in the story shares that with Simone, right, of being like, I don't feel this for the same way as you do, but like, I still feel it, you know? Yeah, like empathizing with her feelings. Instead, they just kind of tell her that she's crazy. And she's not crazy. And it's weird, too, because there's even, like, there's a time in which they tell her she's, like, only a size bigger than them. And then they say something, and it's implied that they're, like, straight-sized people. But then she says something, like, about Simone being a size 14 or something like that. So it does kind of come across as empty when you're telling your friend no you're crazy stop it you're beautiful and also like that's another thing like being fat is not antithetical to beautiful but yeah that's true i don't think they ever i don't say know that. that though they don't ever say that she's not large they just are like you're beautiful and they just keep kind of yeah. trying to reinforce that yeah for sure for sure and i didn't really mean to like circle back around to that again i really said everything i had to say at that one point um i think that the message though that Amal gets across there at least especially for Amal is still really powerful though is the idea that like you should embrace yourself whether or not that's considered normal by society because like yeah screw what society thinks you know um generally speaking I understand. Yes. And I'm glad you circled back to that because I think that this is an important conversation and you do have a different perspective. Like we have different perspectives on things. So I think it's good to talk about it. Yeah, I think I just feel bad because like that's obviously not the point of this book either, right? Like I I just want to make it clear that I don't think that the fact that this topic not being handled in a super great way makes this a less like important or good read. Because it, it still is, you know, and the author is an expert in what she's an expert in, which is her own identity. And she does a great job talking about it. So, like, I agree. And who knows if she's a great size or not? Maybe she's not. Maybe I'm just being extra sensitive. Who knows? <laughs> to be fair, though, we I think we pick apart all the books for for some problematic aspect, like almost everything we read. And I think that we genuinely enjoy and find merit in almost everything we read. So. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Do we have anything else that we want to say about this book before we wrap up? I'm good. Do you think this is a feminist novel? Unless you had yeah, something else. Yeah, I think so, definitely. No, I'm good. I definitely think that this is a feminist novel. It is told from the perspective of a girl who overcomes her own, like, she transcends the boundaries of what society expects from her. Even if that's just in the sense that people expect her to essentially be a terrible, awful person just because she's suddenly wearing the hijab. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. And she really overcomes that and just finds such deep peace with herself. Uh, And also the novel is mostly about women. Like there are male characters, but it's a very woman-centered, woman-based novel. Um, And all of her friends really find 
like self-love and self-acceptance at the end whether it's because they get what they want in the sense that like Layla's going to be allowed to go to school uh or stuff like that um yeah it's not a perfect feminist novel but nothing is I definitely would say it's feminist what about you no I agree I agree a lot I think that the boundary she's transcending in this novel is the this or that identity and she finds that she can be both and I think that's mm-hmm. really important and um it does pass the Bechdel test I checked check off <laughs> um what's the oh what are you reading oh wait before we get into the what are you reading i would like us to read three reviews we have reviews on itunes um a few of them are from like actually 2019 but i would still like to read them all right now okay so the first review is from happy Winky face, smiley face. They gave us four stars, and the review title is good. Then the words underneath are thumbs up. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, happy face, uh, or happy winky face, smiley face. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. You are awesome. The next review is from Kim at the Dark Roast Pod. She's super cool. I listened to their podcast. It's a folktale slash true crime podcast from two moms in Florida and they really love coffee. She says, this podcast speaks to my soul. Harmony and Maggie are phenomenal hosts. They are passionate about literature, knowledgeable and funny. Lend an ear and find your new favorite book. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much. I know this is like a really long time from when you posted, but thank you. The third review is from Allosaurus.rex. She is from Resolved Mysteries Podcast, which is a podcast on a true crime show that was released to Amazon recently. This podcast is fantastic. They discuss important books in a very relatable manner. Maggie and Harmony are intelligent and thoughtful hosts. It is clear that they have a passion for literature and feminism. Everyone should listen to this podcast. They're doing great work. Keep it up, ladies. Thanks. We appreciate you. We appreciate you a lot. Yay. All right. Do you want to talk about what we're reading? I'm still reading War and Peace. Wow. Yeah. Well, they they do say that that novel is like huge and that's that's kind of a joke, isn't it? Like, oh, no one finishes War and Peace. Right. Is it? I don't know. I it every book's Gilmore. longer than it before. It just it just keeps going, you know. Gilmore Girls has used it as a joke about how long it is, like multiple times. And Gilmore Girls is gospel, so. <laughs> okay, what are you reading? <laughs> um, I just finished The Witch's Daughter by Paula Braxton, and I'm now listening. Actually, I'm going to pull it up because I don't remember the title. But it's really cool. It's essentially like if Pride and Prejudice were a fantasy novel. Um, it's called Shade. It's not a Pride and Prejudice novel. It's just like Victorian era. It's called Shades of Milk and Honey by Mary Robinette Kowal. I think is how you pronounce her name. Yeah. What are What are we talking about next week? Do we know what we're talking about? Do we wait? Do we have homework for this episode? Oh, right, homework. Yeah. Okay. Um, my homework. This is a novel about like you know trying to identify yourself in Western society. Western society is super fucking racist as we're recording this. 
there's been a lot of stuff this week in terms of race, and there are riots going on in Minnesota. A man was choked to death by a police officer in a fashion that is very reminiscent of Eric Garner. I don't know. I talked to my mom today, and she was talking about this awful like police brutality that occurred to a Black man in her very tiny little town in which the officers made the man while handcuffed in like a hundred degree heat drop to his knees to drink from his water so that like instead of like giving him water because he was thirsty yeah and i don't know i'm just feeling very disenchanted about the u.s and donald trump and i don't know i think they're talking about like uh sending the military out to deal with riots and protesters and so my homework is to figure out like an action plan for how I can better contribute to our society's race problem. And for me, that means joining a bunch of organizations because that's like something that's actionable and that I can easily do and signing petitions and calling politicians. What about you, Maggie? (laughs) Yeah, uh, of course, rest in power to George Floyd. Uh, Just truly heinous things happening in the United States this week. If you're curious also about what you could do on that front, I posted on our uh, RGBC pod Instagram a couple of resources of ways that you can take action and things that you can do. So feel free to check that out. I think it's in our stories. I'll see if I can save it still. And I'm probably, I don't know, man, I'm in the same vein as you right now with uh, probably making a donation to the NAACP, uh, continuing to have conversations like this, which, you know, wasn't necessarily about (laughs) racism in the United States, but was about racism in the United States, ultimately. Um, continuing to share the showing up, for racial, showing up for Racial Justice's guide on what white people specifically can do to help, because I am a white person and I know a lot of white people, and it's time that we take accountability for each other's actions. So that's probably what I'm up to on that front. Um, yeah. This is a very sad way to end the episode, but it's a sad time in the United States right now. Bye! (laughs) Bye! You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.